Chapter fourteen of Aunt Jane's Nieces in Society. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Aunt Jane's Nieces in Society by L. Frank Baum. Chapter fourteen. A Cool Encounter. On leaving the house, Mershone buttoned his overcoat tightly up to his chin, for the weather was cold and raw, and then shot a quick glance around him. Diana's suspect was still lounging on the corner. Charlie had little doubt he was watching the house and the movements of its inmates. A bad sign, he reflected, with a frown. Otherwise, the street seemed deserted. He had dismissed the cab on his arrival, so now he stepped out and walked briskly around the corner, swinging his cane jauntily and looking very unlike a fugitive. In the next block he passed a youth who stood earnestly examining the conventional display in a druggist's window. Mershone, observing this individual, gave a start, but did not alter his pace. It was the same pale, red-haired boy he had noticed twice before at the hotel. In his alert, calculating mind, there was no coincidence in this meeting. Before he had taken six more steps, Mershone realized the exact situation. At the next crossing, he stopped and waited patiently for a car. Up the street, he still saw the youth profoundly interested in drugs, a class of merchandise that seldom calls for such close inspection. The car arrived and carried Mershone away. It also left the red-haired youth at his post before the window. Yet on arriving at the Brookstall some twenty minutes later, Charlie found this same queer personage occupying a hotel chair in the lobby and apparently reading a newspaper with serious attention. He hesitated a moment, then quietly walked over to a vacant chair beside the red-haired one and sat down. The youth turned the paper, glanced casually at his neighbour and continued reading. A detective, I believe, said Mershone, in a low, matter-of-fact tone. Who? Me? asked Fogerty, lowering the paper. Yes. Your age deceived me for a time. I imagined you were a newsboy or a sporting kid from the country. But now I observe you are older than you appear. All sorts of people seem to drift into the detective business. I suppose your present occupation is shadowing me. Fogerty smiled. The smile was genuine. I might even be a lawyer, sir, he replied, and in that case I should undertake to cross-examine you and ask your reasons for so queer a charge. Or you might be a transient guest at this hotel, the other returned in the same bantering tone, for I saw you at breakfast and luncheon. Pretty fair chef here, isn't he? But you didn't stick to that part, you know. You followed me uptown, where I made a call on a relative and you studied the coloured globes in a druggist's window when I went away. I wonder why people employ inexperienced boys in such important matters. In your case, my lad, it was easy enough to detect the detective. You even took the foolish chance of heading me off and returned to this hotel before I did. Now then, is my charge unfounded? Why should you be under the surveillance of a detective? asked Fogerty slowly. Really, my boy, I cannot say. There was an unpleasant little affair last night at the Waldorf, in which I was not personally concerned, but suffered nevertheless. 
an officious deputy caused my arrest and i spent an unpleasant night in jail there being nothing in the way of evidence against me i was released this morning and now i find a detective shadowing me what can it all mean i wonder these stupid blunders are very annoying to the plain citizen who however innocent feels himself the victim of a conspiracy i understand you sir said fogerty dryly for some moments mershone now remained silent then he asked what are your instructions concerning me to his surprise the boy made a simple frank admission i'm to see you don't get into more mischief sir and how long is this nonsense to continue demanded mershone showing a touch of anger for the first time depends on yourself mr mershone i'm no judge myself i'm so young and inexperienced who is your employer oh i'm just sent out by an agency is it a big paying proposition asked charlie eyeing the diffident youth beside him critically as if to judge his true caliber not very big you see if i'd been a better detective you'd never have spotted me so quickly i suppose money counts with you though as it does with everyone else in the world of course sir every business is undertaken to make money mershone drew his chair a little nearer i need a clever detective myself he announced confidentially i'm anxious to discover what enemy is persecuting me in this way would it uh, be possible for me to employ you to uh, look after my interests fogerty was very serious you see sir he responded if i quit this job they may not give me another in order to be a successful detective one must keep in the good graces of the agencies that's easy enough asserted mershone you may pretend to keep this job but go home and take life easy i'll send you a daily statement of what i've been doing and you can fix up a report to your superior from that in addition to this you can put in a few hours each day trying to find out who is annoying me in this rascally manner and for this service i'll pay you five times the agency price how does that proposition strike you mr riordan the name's riordan said fogerty with a smile no mr mershone shaking his head gravely i can't see my way to favor you it's an easy job now and i'm afraid to take chances with a harder one something in the tone nettled mershone but the pay he suggested oh the pay if i'm a detective fifty years i'll make an easy two thousand a year that's around hundred thousand can you pay me that much to risk my future career as a detective mershone bit his lip this fellow was not so simple after all boyish as he seemed and worse than that he had a suspicion the youngster was baiting him and secretly laughing at his offers of bribery they will take you off the job now that i have discovered your identity he asserted with malicious satisfaction oh no answered fogerty they won't do that this little interview merely simplifies matters you see sir i'm an expert at disguises that's my one great talent as many will testify but you will notice that in undertaking this job i resorted to no disguise at all you see me as nature made me and was a poor job i'm thinking why were you so careless it wasn't carelessness it was premeditated there's not the slightest objection to your knowing me my only business is to keep you in sight and i can do that exactly as well as riordan as i could by disguising myself 
Mershone had it on his tongue's end to ask what they expected to discover by shadowing him, but decided it was as well not to open an avenue for the discussion of Miss Merrick's disappearance. So finding he could not bribe the youthful detective, or use him in any way to his advantage, he closed the interview by rising. "'I'm going to my room to write some letters,' said he, with a yawn. "'Would you like to read them before they are mailed?' Again Fogerty laughed in his cheerful, boyish way. "'You'd make a fine detective yourself, Mr. Mershone,' he declared, "'and I advise you to consider the occupation. "'I've a notion it's safer, and better pay, than your present line.' Charlie scowled at the insinuation, but walked away without reply. Fogerty eyed his retreating figure a moment, gave a slight shrug, and resumed his newspaper. Day followed day without further event, and gradually Mershone came to feel himself trapped. Wherever he might go, he found Fogerty on duty, unobtrusive, silent, and watchful. It was very evident that he was waiting for the young man to lead him to the secret hiding-place of Louise Merrick. In one way, this constant surveillance was a distinct comfort to Charlie Mershone, for it assured him that the retreat of Louise was still undiscovered. But he must find some way to get rid of his shadow, in order that he might proceed to carry out his plans concerning the girl. During his enforced leisure, he invented a dozen apparently clever schemes, only to abandon them again as unpractical. One afternoon, while on a stroll, he chanced to meet the bruiser who had attacked Arthur Weldon at the Waldorf, and been liberally paid by Mershone for his excellent work. He stopped the man, and glancing hastily around, found that Fogerty was a block in the rear. "'Listen,' he said, "'I want your assistance, and if you're quick and sure, there's a pot of money waiting for you.' "'I need it, Mr. Mershone,' replied the man, grinning. "'There's a detective following me.' He's down the street there, a mere boy, just in front of the tobacco store. See him? Sure I see him. It's Fogerty. His name is Riordan. No, it's Fogerty. He's no boy, sir, but the slickest tech in the city, and that's going some, I can tell you. Well, you must get him, whoever he is. Drag him away and hold him for three hours. Two. One. Give me a chance to slip him. That's all. Can you do it? I'll pay you a hundred for the job. "'It's worth two hundred, Mr. Mershone. "'It isn't safe to fool with Fogerty. "'I'll make it two hundred. "'Then rest easy,' said the man. "'I know the guy and how to handle him. "'You just watch him like he's watching you, Mr. Mershone, "'and if anything happens, you skip as lively as a flea. "'I can use that two hundred in my business.' "'Then the fellow passed on, "'and Fogerty was still so far distant up the street "'that neither of them could see the amused smile upon his thin face.' End of chapter 14